I'm glad to meet you here tonight in this uh, satsang, since it appears that we are getting to the very last part, the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and uh, it might very well be our last satsang on the theme of the Gospel of Luke. I remember I was lecturing on the Gospel of Luke in 2018 already, and now it's 2021. So over more than four years, I have done lectures. Of course, the lectures have been not as often and as many as I would have liked to do due to administrative difficulties. But uh, all in all, this Gospel of Luke is uh, probably the longest project which I have done in terms of satsangs, like taking a fundamental text and trying to extract from it the yogic teachings, the conclusions, the yogic principles, the understanding of the chakras, energies, cosmic laws, correlation with moral and ethical principles, and all the other things, because that's what we are trying to do. We are not trying to transform Agama into a, some sort of para-Christian organization. We are yogis, we are tantric yogis, we work with the energies of the human being and of the universe. We work with the chakras. We work with the planes of the universe. We work with the five bodies. We work with the understanding of different levels of consciousness. We work with the fundamental law of resonance. And therefore, we are a very technical yoga school. Many of you who are hearing me in these satsangs you think that I'm just uh, issuing some uh, opinions and uh, what is this old man doing? He's a yogi. Now he talks about Jesus. It's a whole salad in the whole thing. Actually, the tantric yoga is very precise. We have exercises, technology. The results are showing up in a precise way. We substantiate everything we do with experiments, with practice, and we are practical yogis, and that's why for us it's very important that we, when we see such a famous source of reference like Jesus is in the Gospels, as quoted in the Gospels, we are very interested to see if that fits with yoga, and if it fits with yoga, how, to which extent, which are the metaphors, which are the similarities. Should the yogis behave like the early Christians as advised by Jesus and the apostles? Did they miss something? Are there differences in the paths? Which are the differences and which are the ups and which are the downs, which are the pros and which are the contrasts? And we could continue like this with a huge list of questions because the words of Jesus in particular, because Jesus is so huge, so proeminent, in the spiritual history of this planet, then uh, these words, these actions, these teachings are considered by many to be of the value of reference. They are a sort of ground zero. We refer to these things and in this way we validate a lot of things. How did the Tibetan yogis do this? How did the Zen practitioners of Japan do this? How did the Sufis from Islam 
do this? How did other religious or spiritual people sort out this? What was their approach to this and that? And thus, uh, this is the meaning of our work here. And we are in the chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. And we are debating with one of the most thorny issues, which and one of the most extraordinary issues, pretty much unique in the modern history of the world, in which we are talking about the resurrection of Christ, the grand phenomenon called the resurrection, pretty unique in all the religions, and with the aftermath of it, with a few events happening immediately after it. There is an event coming 49 days uh, after the resurrection of Christ, which is the Pentecost, the Day of the Holy Spirit. That one is already contained in another book of the Bible, which comes after the four Gospels, which is called the Acts of the Apostles. That's considered to be no more from Jesus, no more Acts of Jesus. It already, it's the next generation of the first Christians, the apostles, and their community, their disciples. The story about Jesus technically stops 40 days after the resurrection. 40 days after the resurrection, we have the last phenomenon quoted from the life, from the known life of Jesus, which is the ascension. The fact that Jesus apparently dematerialized, as the Tibetans would put it, turned into rainbow, turned into light, turned into whatever you want to put it, an alchemical extreme phenomenon mentioned in other spiritualities of the world, and basically then he vanished. So, uh, we are in the very last chapter, which is covering these 40 days. Actually, it covers less than 40 days because it is um, starting with the resurrection itself. The resurrection in the modern five religions, in the major five religions of the planet Earth, which are Judaism, Christianity, Islam in the West, and Hinduism, Buddhism in the East. And if we go to other minor religions, which are about ten of them, Shintoism in Japan, Taoism in China, Sikhism and Jainism in India, and a few other of these uh, minor religions, I'm not saying that in a pejorative or diminishing way, they are minor in the meaning that they have touched less segments of population, their following is counting less in terms of millions of followers, and historically they have stretched on shorter periods of time. Uh, In all these religions, the phenomenon of resurrection is pretty much unique. Exception made of some legends which have the value of myths in the ancient Hinduism. Some of the myths about Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva in the old days, which are basically not referring to the physical world and they are not referring to physical phenomena, and they are not referring to characters like Tom, Dick, and Harry, like concrete people, and they refer to the fact that some Egyptian god called Osiris died, and then somehow Isis, the goddess, brought him back by assembling the pieces of his body together, and so on. This you cannot 
it's never meant to be like historically there was this guy who lived in this city they killed him and three days later there came a jolt of light from heaven and he was up again and this demonstrated that God was with him that he was from God that this was the power of God and that uh, people had absolutely no decision on this and people have no power to decide like if people killed Jesus na 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 Jesus was not dead people could piss against the wind if they wanted but they could not kill Jesus they could assassinate him superficially for three days only just to be shown their terrible error and the fact that Jesus could not be kept dead because he was of a nature which was beyond life and death well this kind of episode is unique please study more carefully and you'll see there are some interesting stories about Krishna in the Mahabharata. But again, those are things which are 5,000 years old or more, the Ramayana and so on. And you know, in, in Buddhism, if you study the stories of Buddhism from 2,500 years ago, you know, since Buddha was born, you will not find out that Buddha raised from the dead anybody, that Buddha raised from the dead that some disciples of the Buddha raised from the dead or were raised from the dead. Death, even there in Buddhism, is irreversible. Once it happened, it happened. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's dark. It doesn't mean it's a defeat. I'm not talking about that. I'm not giving qualities to it. I'm simply saying that those people followed the laws of nature. Because death is one of the most inevitable things, you know, like as much of but the COVID came and it kills us and the number of people dies every day with COVID, without COVID. In every country, study the statistical numbers, even in the years of the COVID now, and you are going to see they lie, because the statistics do not lie. No, did in 2020 die significantly more people than in 2019 or than 2018 in your country. Every country has a National Institute of Statistics, which is supposed to be scientific and exact. Like you know exactly how many people have died in a year in your country. Yeah? I have studied this in a few countries, and in 2020 there did not die 100 people more than they died in 2020. So where is the epidemic which is supposed to have brought extra deaths compared to all the things like people anyway died of hepatitis, asthma, cancer, diabetes, heart attacks and everything. And on top of it, there were 60,000 people who died from COVID. It's not true. It's not true. The statistics, that's why nobody brings you those statistics, you know, because you would see immediately it's not true. No. How do you explain the fact that everybody complains that we die like, uh, I don't know, we die like ants, you know, every day, we die like flies, but the total number per year is still the same. No, Then where is the, there is a lie somewhere, and it's not my purpose to go there. What my purpose is to tell to you that death was made by divine law to be inevitable. Maybe death would not touch Milarepa, Maybe death will not touch Elijah, the prophet. Maybe death will not touch Melchizedek, the 
king and so on, maybe death would not touch, I don't know what other diamond body example to give to you, you know, but those are 100 people in 3,000 years of history over the whole humanity and all the nations put together. Therefore, this is a negligible number that there are a number of spiritual heroes, men and women, that have transcended death, even physical death. Even in the world of yoga and in the world of the great saints of Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Sufism, whatever, most of the saints, when they died, they died. You can go and see the relics of the body of St. Peter or of St. Paul or of whoever, St. Teresa of Avila. No, they died, their body decayed, for some of them in a mysterious way, for some of them in a very straightforward way. No, and they were dead. And that was it. And there came no jolting, no lightning bolt and brought Teresa of Avila back and said, oh, this woman was a saint, she shouldn't have died. Even the saints die, they died. Hundreds of thousands of them, they died irreversibly. Yeah? And therefore, I mean, again, what is their spiritual status and where is their soul now? That's a totally different story. But the fact that death can be contradicted so violently, this is very unique. Many people who hate Jesus or who dislike him and uh, they dislike Christianity because they consider that Christianity is more or less a byproduct of Jesus' life, they try to minimize this phenomenon by hiding it, denying it, lying about it, or finding ridiculous equivalents. Oh, but there was this guy called Peter... Not, I'm not talking about the apostle, this guy called Walter, and Walter resurrected. No, where? Demonstrable to a certain degree of clarity. No, where? These are lies. There exist some myths, but the myths, they usually refer to things which have happened in the invisible world, in the astral world, there are stories about gods and goddesses doing their games in the subtle worlds, in the invisible world, and their resurrection is something totally different. It means something completely different. But to have resurrection for somebody who goes from the physical world and comes back into the physical world, that's extremely rare. And to have it in such a deliberate and spectacular way like with Jesus, it is, again, Pretty unique. Therefore, when we speak about Christianity, Christianity is sandwiched between the ones which were before Christianity, the Jews, and the ones which came 700 years later after Christianity, the Muslims. Both of them hate this story with the resurrection because it's the one story which surpasses all the other prophets, all the other saints, all the other mystics because they know it has not happened in Parallel. There are no equivalents to it. And that's why the Jews are coming up with the story that Jesus was not dead. Or if he was dead, his disciples came in the night and stole the body. And the body must be buried somewhere around Jerusalem or something. Or they chopped it into little pieces and gave it to the dogs or whatever they did with it. Never to be found. 
and therefore there was no resurrection. Jesus was dead of Widerzen. He was dead. You know, and all the resurrection story is a lie. Because if Jesus was resurrected by God, then Jesus was the Messiah. Period. It's as simple as that. And then all the Jewish religion, all the Jewish rabbis should come on their knees to Vatican or to Constantinople or whatever and say, sorry, we have been misguided. For 2,000 years we are still waiting for the fucking Messiah. And the Messiah came, meanwhile, and we didn't recognize him. On the contrary, some of our ancestors contributed to crucifying him because they hated him. Sorry. Yeah. So therefore, all the Jews should become Christians in five minutes because it's like Jesus is the Messiah or not. It's black and white. No? And therefore, they want to put him down just comparing him with the prophets. I said last time, Jewish experts in theology and so on, they say, but Jesus, we, are, we recognize he's one of our minor prophets. Swallow your tongue. You are an idiot. Yeah? If Jesus is a minor prophet, then the whole thing is a fake. The whole Christian religion is a fake and a nonsense. And then the Christians should become Jews because they are nothing but second grade Jews. They are a derivative from Judaism and no more. Misguided thinking that this hippie called Jesus, who was a minor prophet, was somehow the Messiah, but of course he was not. His disciples stole the body in the night, and then they pretended he resurrected, but there is no evidence whatsoever. The Muslims have got another version, like anything, just not to mean the resurrection. They didn't even synchronize with the Jews. They found another way of lying about. Jesus was not dead. He was in a septic shock of some sort. And the disciples at 6 o'clock when they took him to bury him, uh, the story from the Bible, they actually not, his legs had not been broken because they thought but he was in a sort of a clinical death. And then some of the disciples realized that he was not dead and they put some ammonia in his nose or God knows they did to revive him. And then Jesus was on the verge of death in a sort of a coma and they took him, and they healed him, and as soon as he was able to sit on a donkey, they put him on a caravan, and they sent him to Damascus, from Damascus to whatever, from Samarkand or whatever, and from there all the way to Kashmir, to uh, the capital of Kashmir, whatever it's called, Srinagar. And like Jesus ended his life in Srinagar. But anything, because if Jesus resurrected, then why didn't the Prophet Muhammad resurrect? Then the Prophet Muhammad is a very wise man, enlightened by God, as a prophet. The archangel Gabriel came and dictated to him the Quran. But on the other hand, Jesus is ten times bigger. And you can't have that. Because then Muhammad is a secondary, ulterior prophet, if you put it like this. And you can't have that. And therefore, both the Jews and the Muslims, they have to deny the resurrection. The resurrection is the place where nobody agrees with it, because if you agree with the resurrection, then you have to accept the divinity of Christ. That Christ was not a prophet, but he was an avatar. He was a divine birth who came with a spectacular mission to earth. As much as was the interest of God to change the history of the world. I'm sending Jesus down there. And he will change the history of the world. Which he did. 
either you accept him or you don't accept him. Either you think he is the Messiah or not. Either you believe in spiritual things or not. Even from a moral, ethical, social standpoint, Jesus has definitely changed the world in many, many ways. More ways than I could cover in a single satsang. The list is huge of the differences which appeared in the collective subconscious mind due to the presence of Jesus, the existence, the short meteoric uh, message, ministry of Jesus on the face of this earth. But again, I'm saying, um, accepting the resurrection became a thing of, you know, because how many people have seen it? Even the disciples did not see it directly. They were told about it. And then they couldn't believe it. The disciples who were with him, and they saw him raising Lazarus four days after his death. They saw him raising paralyzed people and giving sight to blind people. And still, this one with the resurrection, nobody had seen anything like this before. They were like, oh my God, you you can't believe that. It was too much of a stretch. It was showing the power of God at a level which was like, wow, you know, like you can get crushed by this evidence. And so, um, even the disciples didn't see it to the point where you have the famous scene, which may be listed later or not, because it might not be in this gospel. It's, the gospels tell four versions of the same story, and they are like pieces of a puzzle, which have to be put together. And in one of these versions, no, Thomas cannot believe it's Jesus. He sees him there, and he cannot believe it's Jesus. Of course, Jesus was transfigured, because now he was shining in his diamond body. So maybe some things in his face, in his, you know, maybe have changed. I wouldn't dare to believe that his, the height of his body or some other parameters had changed completely. But the expression of his face, something, his eyes were blazing. Something may have changed that, you know, if you would meet a good friend of yours with whom you spent years and then you would meet and people would say he was dead and he came back, you say, my goodness. You know, where Walter, how are you? You know, like but Thomas could not believe it's the same Walter. You cannot believe that Jesus was looking radically different. No, that he looked like a little green man from Mars this time, and people said, Is this Jesus? It's not possible. No, he still looked the same, pretty much. And Thomas could not believe it because nobody had ever seen or heard of a human being resurrecting like this. There were myths that some Egyptian god resurrected, but that Egyptian god is not a biological human being who lived on the face of the earth. Those are myths about subtle beings, about deities. And the deities don't have a physical body or they can materialize one and dematerialize. And then death and resurrection, they mean something else. From that stand, but Jesus was a person biologically born from the womb of Mary, who had blood, bones, flesh, was living like everybody else, eating, sleeping, whatever he was doing in his daily life, and then he was killed in front of everybody. They put him in a tomb. It's true, in a haste, but they put him in a tomb. No, and then to see him, Thomas asked to see the marks of the crucifixion. And Jesus tells him, 
the legendary words. He said, Thomas, fortunate are you that you have seen so that you can believe. But even more fortunate are those who have not seen and still believe. Because the leap is much bigger. If you are physically there, Jesus shows you and he says, are you stupid? I'm going to show you again. You know, I'm going to tell you, didn't you remember that seven days ago we spoke about the fact that the milk was sour and you had to go and buy a new can of milk and a lot like, it's Jesus for God's sake. He talks to me about what we did together. Like he has methods to convince Thomas. But somebody who reads the Bible today after 2,000 years, it's a story, you know. And some people say yes, some people say no. There is not a court of law or some forensic investigator who can absolutely tell you scientifically yes or no. That's why in this matter, eventually everybody is asked to choose. As I told you in other lectures and in other workshops, faith is our choice from Ajna Chakra, because belief is our own self-suggestion. It's our own self-hypnosis. We are what we believe. What we believe creates our destiny. And therefore, which is the more empowering belief? That Jesus was confused and was killed, or he was given some herbs and taken to Srinagar, or that God personally sent Archangel Michael and brought Jesus back as a crushing evidence of what was the whole deal. Now, of course, the more empowering evidence, the more empowering belief is that Jesus resurrected. So in the end, even you don't need the proofs. You simply say, I choose the system of belief which empowers me the most. No, do it does it advantage me to believe that I am stupid? Or to believe that I am reasonably intelligent. If I believe I'm stupid, I make myself stupid. It's self-hypnosis. Then of course it's good to believe that your intelligence is within some limits valid. And if you feel that you are not really believing in it, then you should make exercises. Then you should solve puzzles. Then you should try to develop your intelligence so that your belief is substantiated and that you can truly believe in it. The same is here. And that's why the resurrection is the cornerstone. If there was no resurrection, then 2,000 years ago, there was an enthusiastic hippie, some sort of peacemaker called Jesus, who preached love, forgiveness, a lot of nice things. He was unfortunately too enthusiastic compared to the Manipuristic rulers of the time. They murdered him. They crucified him. And somehow some people who wanted the myth to continue, they did some hocus pocus. They stole the body. They put him on a donkey to Srinagar. Whatever they did. And Jesus was not resurrected. But it's a nice faith to have. Then... There has been no act of God. But the act of God is the climax. The act of God is the orgasmic, blissful culmination of the whole thing. Because it's not only that Jesus spoke and spoke and sacrificed and sacrificed. There was something extra. 
Please remember, there are many other people who are sacrificed in the name of God, country, the truth. They have been Christian saints, they have been crucified, like Peter, crucified upside down. They have been women crucified for the soul of France, for the freedom of France, like John of Arc. They have been Renaissance scientists burned at stake, not crucified, John of Arc was not crucified, but burned at stake. There were scientists like Giordano Bruno, the most typical example of the Renaissance, who were burned at stake because they said things about astronomy, the universe, the planets spinning around the sun, and other such things. And when they were crucified or burned at stake, Peter himself, who was the right hand of Jesus, you know, he was the the first manager of the apostles, the first leader of the dream team. There were the archangel Michael did not come to resurrect them also. There appeared no angel which said, John of Arc will not suffer so that you idiots can see that what a mistake you have done. Or other such things. They weren't. So there have been tens of thousands, maybe more, of sacrifices in the name of God, in the name of freedom, in the name of a selfless cause, in the name of the truth. And God did not move. God did not show his hand in this card game. God did not react. Why? Because if God would react every time, people would know that there is a God. And God does not want to demonstrate directly and easily his own existence. I have told that a hundred thousand times, and that is the essence of the whole problematic of the human being. The human being is kept prisoner, as Buddha has said, by his ignorance. The supreme cause of our pain is our ignorance. So what does it mean, ignorance? We don't know that there is God. We don't know who created us. We don't know that there is life after life. We don't know that our soul is of the nature of the divine and it's permanent. We don't know that there is a God. We don't know that there are angels which are present right here and they supervise us. We don't know a lot of things. And even when we are told, it's like, um, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, Should I pray to my guardian angel? No, like I did an angel workshop three weeks ago, four weeks ago, you know, in which we gave to people the exact way of connecting with their angel visually, auditorily, and so on. How many, I'm curious, and it's not a rhetorical question asked to you, it's a rhetorical question which I'm asking to myself. You know, I'm curious, how many of the people who have been in this workshop, not in the one from 2018 or so, how many people have been in this workshop are still praying to their guardian angel five minutes in the morning. Five minutes, not 50. Five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. No? No, and they are in a yoga school. They are disciples in a yoga school. They practice yoga. They felt energies and chakras. They know that yoga works. Therefore, these are people who are in the rank of the initiates, They are people who are not normal people from the street anymore. They are people who have undergone different levels of initiation and they know what the normal person doesn't even have a clue of how the human being is and what exists. 
And these people do not manage to find the motivation to pray to their guardian angel five minutes per day or ten minutes per day. Why? Because somewhere in a corner of their soul, there is still this doubt. Like, hey, yeah, Swami talked for a week about this. Maybe there are history, but what if all things, you know, what if like Mark Karl Marx said, religion is the opiate of the masses. You know, in the end, that's the truth. These people are just selling illusions. You know, Jesus himself and the Christianity and Swami Vivekananda Saraswati, they're all of them selling illusions. This is the doom of mankind. This is what Milarepa is no longer like. This is what Shankaracharya is no longer like. This is what makes the difference between you and Ramakrishna or Shivananda. Because these people have seen it, have found out. And then their faith, maybe it's not 100% because it's difficult to speak in terms of black and white. But their faith is 98% and it's good enough. With 98%, you can go through life and you can go through the universe in the right way. And therefore, the problem is that the first challenge of the human being is the fact that human beings do not believe. They have doubts. Even when they say that they believe, they do not believe. And again, I can give you the most simple examples. No? We have people who come to yoga and they say they believe in yoga. They understood how the human being works. And then they got the COVID-19 or whatever. Then they run to the hospital. Like chickens. No? Like, what to do? You know? It's like, hey, you said you believed. You know, it's like we expected that you lived according to your belief. No? But they don't. No? At least the Amish of America... They have decided that they don't get vaccine because the vaccine is the devil or whatever. And in spite of the pressure, it's a religious community, they can't convince them. People can call them fanatics, fundamentalists, blah, 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 blah. They don't. They live according to a belief. Now you're going to say, if your belief is wrong, then you are just a fanatic who is an imbecile. That's true. That's why people have to find those beliefs which are real, healthy, divine, empowering. In the case of the story of Jesus, where we started the story about the resurrection, please remember that Jesus was sent to perform many miracles, astonishing miracles. And apparently he did. There is a lot of witnesses about it. There are more witnesses about what Jesus did than about what Genghis Khan did. You know, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you should not believe in Genghis Khan and you should not believe in other historical Alexander the Great or something, you know, because there is more testimony about Jesus than about those historical characters. And therefore, we can always say, no, so Jesus performed so many miracles. The society was disturbed. The Greeks were a perverted philosophical community which had been enslaved by the Romans and they were into sexual perversions, philosophical confusion, not before hundreds of years, but now at the time of Jesus. So they were decadent. Egypt 
was double decadent because they were building pyramids for megalomaniacs, thousands of people dying for megalomanic projects. So, you know, they were, and they were enslaving the Jews and Moses beat the shit out of them and so on. Like Egypt was double rotten. The Babylonians and others who have even taken the Jews into slavery for a few, for a number of years, they were also perverted. The whole area was rotten. And on top of this rotten thing, there came the Roman Empire, which was rotten, rotten, violent, manipuristic, conquering, killing, taxing, taxation. It was an empire of slaves. No? And therefore the world was so rotten. And in this rotten world, Jesus had to come to bring some divine sense. And the world changed. As soon as Jesus left this earth, Christianity started on the back of Christianity. Islam started 700 years later. So, of course, the coming of Jesus changed a lot of things. Even in such an intensity that God said, I'm going to send Jesus down there to make sense, to make order of things, still God could not push too much. Please understand. God could have sent a hundred like Jesus. Maybe not like Jesus, but 80% like Jesus. God would have sent an army of, of avatars down there. And they would have taken the earth by storm, those people. But it is not what God intended. If God would have done that 2,000 years ago, now we would not be in Kali Yuga. Now we would not be ruled by George W. Bush and all sorts of morons and others like this. We would be a different planet. We would be a different world. But the planet had to get to what it got today because it's the laws of the universe. It's like people hate winter and they say, especially the last month of winter, it's terribly, no vitamins. People have flu. Couldn't we ask God to cut February and jump directly to March and start the spring. No, you cannot. The last month of winter is necessary for the biorhythms of nature. And therefore, the end of Kali Yuga, the last 2,000 years in which we are, it's necessary. We don't like it, but it's necessary. And thus, in this Kali Yuga, even God could not contradict his own law. In the meaning that God could not say, you know what, I'm just going down there, materializing, making hocus pocus, telling to people, hey, here I am, you didn't know me, you know. Who, what do you want? This, what do you want? That, bam, bam, bam. Okay, everybody happy? Okay, now you venerate me. And I'm coming every three months to ask you what's new. You know? Then people would believe in God. If God would show himself to people and demonstrate omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, you must be, you could be, you would have to be a total idiotic moron not to believe in God. No? Only the retarded oligofriends would say, well, I don't know what's happening. Everybody talks about a guy called God. No, but all the normal people, they would believe. Well, that is not meant to happen. That is not meant to happen without your soul deciding on an individual basis, from case to case, from man to man and from woman to woman, deciding, I want to do this, this is my path, I feel 
my intuition is like this, I will spend my life doing this, I will respect the Ten Commandments, I will respect the morals and ethics, the whatever, yama and niyama, whatever. I will live my life as if there was a life after death and I will be aware of the karma which I'm creating and about this. And I will study the art of dying so that when I die, I can die in the proper way. And I'll purify my body, my energy system, my chakras, my different things so that I can function in a correct way without great disturbance and impurities and so on and so forth. But how many people are taking this decision? Krishna tells to Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita and that was something which was happening 4,000 years ago when the society was allegedly more spiritual than today. He says, oh Arjuna, out of a thousand people or thousands of people, one is doing something spiritual, concrete, to save their soul. So this means the actual people who believe in this so much that they are ready to become vegetarian, you know, because the others say, come on, man, I cannot give up my beefsteak for this illusion that you want to sell me. That means you don't believe in it. Your beefsteak is more important than this. But the people who are spiritual, they will say, okay, I feel this is the path. That's what Ramakrishna did. That's what this one did. This what that one said. Okay, you know what? I can be vegetarian for the next 50 years of my life. I can be vegetarian. It's not a big deal to be vegetarian for a lifetime. No, not to mention that now in modern times, you can have even copycats of all sorts of meats. And so like, it's not even a matter of giving up your taste and delicious things you know, anymore. So it's all a matter of faith. And God wanted that Jesus would give to people some faith, to some limited number of people a lot of faith, so that they can give it to the next generations, but not too much. God didn't want to jump to the ultimate extreme. It was a measured measure. It was a remedial measure for humanity, but this remedial measure was having a certain measure. It was not like, oh, God says, I'm desperate, I have to do whatever I can. No. God could have done much, 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 much more. But it was not in the intention of the divine consciousness. It was in the intention of the divine consciousness to move things a hundred units further up. And that's why resurrection is too much. If resurrection would be accepted and widely have seen, if Jesus would have resurrected in a public place in front of thousands of people and would have ascended to heaven in front of hundreds of people and would have talked, if Jesus would have gone to the temple of Jerusalem and said, idiots, I'm back. Like the Terminator, you know, I'm Schwarzenegger number one. You know, I'm back, you know, Jesus is back. Jesus kicks ass. You tried to crucify me. You know, it's like, it didn't work. Now what you've got to say? You know, imagine Jesus would have gone in the public plaza. You know, Jesus would have gone whatever, paralyzed all the Roman soldiers and got to the palace of Pilatus and said, fuck you, you crucified me. It doesn't work with me. You know, he didn't. He didn't. It was not the final victory. The final victory is supposed to be in the end of Kali Yuga at the second coming of Christ when it's too late to make any more differences. 
Then, when you will know, you'll just bang your head against the wall and you'll say, what an idiot I have been. But it's too little too late. And therefore, God did not intend that Jesus should give everything. Subjectively, as a man, he gave his life. But he did not intend that Jesus should demonstrate the divine power 100%. Jesus didn't even demonstrate 10% of the divine power. The miracles which Jesus did, when you compare them with the Mahasiddhis listed by Patanjali and other great yogis in yoga, they are nothing. They are little. No? And... But that's because, and Jesus said, I came to do only what God gave me to do, not one thing more. Because if I do one thing more, I push the envelope. I expose God. I reveal too much of the power and of the existence of God. And you guys are not supposed to see that. It would make your choices way too easy. No, then everybody would be convinced from, but then where is the value? There is no value in making a choice. Because you have been convinced in an overwhelming way, almost by force. You've been crushed under an evidence. And that's why for the freedom of the human being to survive, this famous aparigraha, the detachment, which is first of all the detachment of God, that God is detached, although He has created you, and you are in the likeness of God, and you carry the Shiva consciousness, you carry the divine consciousness with you, and nevertheless God lets you err, because otherwise there is no way you'll find your freedom. There is no way you will stand on your own feet. And because of this, it's necessary that certain aspects of the divinity should be concealed. And that's the story of the resurrection. The resurrection has happened. Jesus talked to people. A limited number of people were absolutely convinced. To such an extent convinced that when the Romans took Peter to crucify him, which was a horrible punishment and super painful, Peter asked to be crucified upside down. No. Who would have such a mad belief, a fisherman from Galilee, if he wouldn't have seen Jesus resurrected with his own eyes? Like there were a number of people who got it 110%. And Jesus is aware that all the rest of mankind is on the outskirts. He says, Thomas... Happy are you that you saw, and now you believe, but more happy are those who didn't see, because there will be millions and gazillions of them, and still believed. Therefore, in the end, I'm telling you clearly, there is no scientific, political, justice system, court evidence, which can demonstrate the crucifixion of Christ. And that's why both the Jews and the Muslims can lie freely about it. But, it's a, mention, it's a mention of your belief. You want to believe? Believe. And in my opinion as a yogi, that would create in your Ajna Chakra a beautiful divine resonance which will empower you and help you on the path to God. So I advise you 
to believe in the resurrection of Christ. It's better for your soul. Forget about Jesus. It doesn't serve Jesus anything. And you don't have to go to the church and kiss the big toe of the Pope. Your faith is something which is in your heart, in your own house, in your own private life. Therefore, this faith, this belief, is very powerful, very empowering, and I advise you to endorse it with all your heart. And the story is exactly this. They thought they put Jesus in the tomb, they buried him quickly. As I said last time, it was so anticlimactic, you know, like the big hero, Jesus, bam, bam, suddenly he's taken, in 12 hours he's judged, beaten, mocked, well, they see him carrying a cross or whatever, bleeding, you know, they crucify him, and he dies, like, and the people are mocking him, say, you're not the son of man, if you are the son of God, why can't you save yourself, you know, like everything is really humiliating and low-key, and then Joseph of Arimathea says, let's take him and bury I have a tomb there. You know? And they put him quickly in some linen cloth and they bury him. And then, with humbleness, three women, not even his disciples, where is Peter and John, and you know, the, John the disciple that God loved, as it says, the Bible, and others, you know, they don't come to kiss the big toe of their guru, you know, as goodbye. They haven't seen their guru dying. Maybe John did, but the others definitely didn't. You know? And they found out he was buried hastily. But they could come and at least say a Jewish prayer and say, dear teacher, rabbi, whatever, you know, we're sorry that things have happened in such an ugly way. You know, like, we don't know it. They didn't. Two women, three women, they were going to embalm the body with aloe vera or with myrrh. You know, like, is this important? Like, if Jesus is dead... If you embalm him or if you don't embalm him, what the difference will it make? If Jesus was a fake prophet or was not the Messiah and he was a hippie who died crucified by some stupid Roman procurator. So valuable he was that a Roman procurator could tell him, take him, beat him, torture him, mock him and crucify him. Yeah, that much for your prophet. That's what your prophet is worth. It's so much valuable that a Roman procurator can make mincemeat out of him. And it's very anticlimactic. It's like totally killing the faith. And three women, humbly, they come more for the rituals, you know. Or this Vadistanistic, that's the custom that we have. We didn't embalm him well, you know, like, which doesn't even matter. If he's dead, he's dead. The worms will eat him anyway, sooner or later. You know, it's like, of course, what happened to Lazarus? You know, he raised Lazarus and now, you know, it's, it's a very bizarre situation in which conflicting things, whispers from the angels and growls from the demons, they crisscross. It's a battlefield, it's a crossfire, and the students, the people, they are like ping pong balls, you know, their mind is like to believe not what's happening, you know, they are in a state of shock. They, they, they react unnaturally, you know. And then finally these women go and then suddenly they see two men that were gleaming like lightning. You know, what they could, they see their Kirlian aura or what, you know, there was an electric blue around them or something. Now what does it mean they were gleaming like lightning? And the women recognized that these would be some supernatural beings and they said, 
Why do you look for the living? They talk in metaphoric ways, you know. They don't tell because this message, to me, it's stupid. You know, I don't need somebody. I'm crying for Jesus. I don't know what happened. And somebody says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Fuck you and your angelic stature. Can you tell me concretely? Last night at 12 o'clock, Jesus was resurrected by Archangel Michael. He is bodily present in this world. And when he considers necessary, he will show up to you. Like this is a clear message for an engineer. I want a message for an engineer. This angel is talking like out of his own ass. Uh, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because I'm stupid, because go fuck yourself, because of, you know, like, why do you, you know, like, what kind of way of talking is this? You know, everything is muddled, everything is confusing, no, things are not clear, he is not here, he has risen. Yeah, but why, I can see he is not here. Why don't you tell me he is on the boulevard, uh, whatever name the boulevard has, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, at number 25. That's where you can find him. Like, the fact that he is not here, I can see. He has risen. What does it mean? Does he have an erection? Does he have, what does it mean that he has risen? No, it's like, you're talking bullshit, you know? Some manipuristic persons have said, bullshit, man, can you not talk clearly? You know, like what is this bird language messages that you give me? But that's how it is meant to be. Remember, God does not want to force certain rules of the game too much. This story with Jesus was a forcing. And if Jesus would have been a coward and run away, then God wouldn't have had to create a resurrection. But Jesus was a vira, a super vira, a divine vira, and he surrendered to God, and then God was forced to show his hand, to move, which God hates to do. He wants to let the... But of course, it was an agreement, (laughs) because God knew that it would happen, most probably, and God knew that therefore this would bring a change to the world, which was desired, which was expected, that the world was lagging behind spiritually, and Jesus was supposed to give this missing impulse. Remember how he told you why he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So the people were so much in a state of shock, That although Jesus had said, it's mentioned that he said it two, three times. Maybe he said it ten times. No, People took it like, yeah, yeah, you know. You know, gurus say crazy things sometimes, you know. Rabbis say crazy things. So, yeah, it's true, he said, but nobody took it seriously. You know, it's like that silly joke with a Jewish rabbi where people are coming to him and saying, Rabbi, pray for rain. And he said, I cannot pray because you as a community don't believe that I have this power and that the prayer can bring rain. They say, Rabbi, are you crazy? We are coming to you precisely because of that. We are asking you to please pray for rain. No, he said, you are non-believers. And they, they say, why do you say such a horrible thing? 
And he said, because if you would have believed I can produce rain, you would have all come with umbrellas and raincoats. No? Like, ultimately, people do not believe. And these people, even these people, it's like Jesus told them, I will be resurrected. And then the kind of is like, yeah, yeah. We will see, you know, the day will come and we will see. You know, it's like a, they had no raincoats. They were not prepared for what happened. They were like, maybe. No? And then, now they remember. So it was very important from the standpoint of God and of the angels, because the angels reflect the standpoint of God. The angels always do the work of God, 100%. It was very important for people to recover their faith, for people to be in a state of awakening. And then they remembered, you know, and they went back in a state of double shock. We didn't find Jesus. We didn't do the fucking rituals to anoint him with myrrh and aloe vera or whatever was there. And on top of this, we met these two very weird people. They seemed that they were like shining like the lightning or something. You know, they were really weird. And they told us some gibberish thing that why are you looking for the living in when it's not, you know. They didn't tell us anything clear, but they told us, remember what Jesus told you, that this was meant to happen. And it's like, wow. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. They were eleven because Judas had committed suicide. So now there were eleven apostles left. And it says, and to all the others, there were not only 11 direct disciples, there were also many others. There was a community. They were like the second tier and the third tier. There was a community of followers. Now, we cannot expect that there were 50 people gathered in a room. There were 11 plus probably another 10 or something. And of course, in other apartments in other locations in Jerusalem, there were many more. The so-called proto-Christian community, probably there were 50 people, 100 people who had been following Jesus all around. So they told it first to the ones which were in one place. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So there were at least three women Quoted by the name. We are not told if Virgin Mary was there. Maybe she was too much crushed with grief and pain. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. James was one of the disciples. And the others with them. So it means there were at least two more. So we're talking about a group of minimum five women. Who told, maybe there were ten. Who told them this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Remember, the angels could have said, Jesus is on Boulevard Kennedy, number 25. You can go and see him right now. Then they would have believed. But even the angels had to talk in a rather metaphoric, special way. Because I'm telling you again, God never shows his full hand. Only when you die at the final judgment at the end of the yugas, there you see God and you find out how much you fucked up or how much good you have done. But until that time, God is not showing his hand because the karma 
at least on this planet. We don't know what happens on the planet of enlightened beings, uh, which is in around the star of Sirius or Vega or something like this. On this Vadistanistic planet of baboons, in Kali Yuga, the rule is ignorance. Ignorance is the slave master which keeps people into slavery. And therefore, people are simply not allowed to see, they are not allowed to know. When you do yoga, when you do meditation, that's what you try to do. You try to see, you try to know, you try to experiment, you try to convince yourself. No, There are people who do yoga three years, and then they say, I don't know if the chakras exist. That's the sign of a failure. You know, if you did yoga for three years, and if you still don't know if the chakras exist, it means you have to do another three years, and another three, and another 30, until you fucking hammer it in your head that you know. Until you don't know, until you are not ready to die for it like Giordano Bruno, then you don't know. You are an ignorant. You are ruled by ignorance. So, these women were saying, look, we've seen with our own eyes, the apostles, they did not believe. The apostles, they have seen Jesus a week ago raising Lazarus. Some of them, maybe not all 12 were with him, but at least some of them must have been there. You know, they have seen rising Lazarus. And they remember that Jesus said about himself, but the state of shock, confusion, the pressure from the devil, the ignorance, the inertia, the entropy, it's so strong that they are about to go back into the darkness of their ignorance from before having met with Jesus. Because these disciples, they were not yet enlightened. They didn't have their own footing in the spirituality. They depended on Jesus. And when Jesus, when the shepherd was beaten, the sheep spread chaotically, because they were not capable to maintain themselves. 49 days later, they became enlightened. And from that moment, each one of them became a pillar of light. Each one of them became a transmitter of this. And then they had faith, and they didn't need to be convinced, because they became new human beings. But at this point, where they were right now, they were still under a high state of confusion. So even when they told them, the first reaction was like, nah, it's too good to be true. Now you're making this up. Crazy women want to say that Jesus still lives. Uh, like, as they say about Elvis Presley and Jimmy Hoffa, you know, that Elvis Presley is not dead. He was just a fat junkie, you know. He was just pretty when he was young. For the rest, he was a fat junkie who was playing this harmonious music on Manipura Chakra. Of course, he's dead. He's stone dead. You know, he's just people with perverted Manipura just like his, who liked his music so much that they wish that he was not dead. You know? So, it's like, Jesus is not Jimmy Hoffa. 
not a mafioso, you know, it's a syndicate leader and so on. So they couldn't believe it. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. If you remember, Jesus had warned, this is the causal knowledge which people never understand how it comes, that Jesus had warned, and he said, I have prayed for you, that when you guys are going to come back to your senses, like remember about me and be in the vertical state of consciousness in which I was putting you every day, you will be the first to recover. So basically the fact that Peter has doubts in the spiritual way, like now he's doubting, like maybe it's true after all, this is a grace. This is a grace which comes from God, from an angel, because Jesus had prayed three, four days ago for this to happen. No? So, Peter is blessed with some grace, and he goes and he sees that indeed the body was not there. He doesn't know. Did Thomas go and pick it up in the night and didn't tell us what the fuck happened? Did the Romans came and picked it up? Did the Jewish priests come at night and stole the body just to chop it into little pieces and burn it so that there is never a trace left of Jesus? Like there were a hundred alternatives. Was Jesus only in a coma and he woke up in the middle of the night and he crawled out of the tomb? Like he didn't know. He just went and saw for himself that this part was true. That the linen was there, the body was not there. But he still could not fathom the truth. The disciples who were with him every day. Now, that same day, two of them, doesn't say which of the apostles, they were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So, we're talking about something in the neighborhood of Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Like people still in a shock. Two of the disciples, two of the apostles, two of the future apostles. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. How the fuck? Excuse my French. Like you've been with Jesus for three years. He is a very distinct personality. He is a tall man, handsome. We, we are given many historical references that his hair may have been reddish, like from the family of King David, on the lineage of King David, there are some people with reddish hair. And there is even a rumor that his eyes may have been blue, which is a total anomaly in the Semitic nations of Israel, Galilea, Judea, Palestine, whatever you would call that part of the earth. No? So Jesus was definitely a very unusual person. Now he would appear, and he just died. And you would be like, what, Jesus? Like that guy looked like Jesus, or so you would have something. We don't know what kind of miracle was happening with this diamond body of Jesus, because now Jesus was in the diamond body. This was a body resurrected, made of, light. It was the divine body already, which again, in India is called the diamond body, and in Tibet it's called the rainbow body, as evidence that it is made of 
light and of mind, an alchemical body, almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent, can dematerialize, materialize in a hundred places simultaneously, do whatever, it has no limit. And this diamond body had the capability either to keep a cloak, like people could not see it clearly, it's the city of invisibility where somebody is there, but somehow you don't look in the direction of the person, being embarrassed, being something, and you basically don't see the evidence that this is your father, this is your brother, this is your... And say, oh, and they say, oh, you were, for God's sake, I thought I was talking to a passerby. You know? This is a phenomenon which happens on Manipura, and it's, it's a city described by Patanjali as invisibility, or simply... Jesus was looking quite different. He was shining in a way which made him look, the only way which we could use, it was transfigured. He was transfigured. We don't know. We can't explain the divine miracle which happened there, but two of his own disciples found themselves traveling on a countryside road with Jesus while they were talking about Jesus and what happened to him, and for the first moments of this story, they didn't recognize him. They didn't realize they were talking to Jesus. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? This God provoking, you know, God is always provoking you, you know, it's like, how are you? How are you doing? Hi, hi there, you know. Like God is trying to bring you to immortality. God is trying to bring you to the eternal life. And God is not going indifferent to you. No, Jesus, why would he come? You know, he could come and if you want to talk to me, talk to me. If not, I... no, but Jesus is prodding them. He says, what are you talking about? You know, like, of course he knows what they are talking about. <clears throat> they stood still, their faces downcast. One of name, named Cleopas, so these were not apostles, because there is no apostle called Cleopas, it's one of the disciples on the second tier of disciples, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here, there, in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God, and all the people. The, they tell the story, it's interesting with what they were left from the story. They say he was a powerful prophet. But Jesus is more than a prophet, if he is resurrected. Only they don't know he's resurrected. So now they are like, okay, maybe we have spent our last months with a great prophet. You know, at least we can catalog him as a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet, and King Herod murdered him. You know, so we have seen this, that prophets could be killed. So they are still in a state of confusion. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They synthesized what it was. We hope that this was the next leader. We hope that this was the, the Messiah. No, this is the whole idea. We hoped this. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning 
but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. I like this Cleopas. He is an engineer. I would give him a diploma of an engineer. In this paragraph, he described exactly as you would speak to a judge, to a person who, you know, who asked for, and you would tell him the exact essence of the situation, the way you see it and the way you know it. He described exactly what happened with the doubts, but the women told us an incredible story. Some of the people went, they see like, we don't know what to believe and we're talking about it, we're debating. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prof the slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself so somehow why, why didn't God go directly to Thomas or he went later to them as we are being told? But funnily enough, he went to two of them, one of them called Cleopas, the other one of them, we don't know his name. And then he told them, he explained to two of them and he kind of admonished them. He said, how slow you are. Like what's happening? Haven't you been told? And then he explained to them, he opened their mind. He showed them all the synchronicities and that the story was exactly as it was supposed to happen. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. These were like little babies, they were like lost children. Their, their daddy had been murdered and when they were doubting the women came and told them a wild story that some angels were there but then they didn't they go and they didn't see the angels the angels were not there they were just the pieces of linen were left there you know it's like it was a puzzle it was a mystery and now these two guys had some problem they had to go to emmaus to this community you know and they were debating and finally they find one who behaves like jesus says, man, you are really stupid. Your heart is really slow. Didn't you understand this? Didn't you understand that? Don't you remember what the prophet Isaiah said? Don't you remember what the prophet Zachariah said? Don't you remember? You know, like, and they were like feeling like with Jesus again. They felt their daddy, you know, and uh, then they said, please don't go stay a little. They were like little chickens with their mama. You know, they were like, oh, finally we find. Intuitively, they were like seeking for this safety for this knowledge for this focus of knowledge sitting with a man of knowledge who is shining this knowledge and eliminating the ignorance of samsara when he was at the table with them he took bread he gave thanks broke it and they began to give it to them then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight Tricky, tricky. No? They stayed with him for two hours and they listened. 
And they thought this guy is some rabbi, is some instructed guy. He knows, look, he quotes from the scriptures and he seems to be sympathetic to our plight and to our cause. But they didn't know they were talking to Jesus, their own master. And then when he broke the bread, that's the archetypal gesture because this is a new covenant. The bread is my body, which is given. Like from now on, you don't need to kill lambs and take them to the temple to be burned. From now on, I am the lamb and my flesh is substantiated, materialized, transfigured in the bread, in the bread and wine, flesh and blood. And when he did that, which is the archetypal gesture, like now he acts like God, when he broke the bread, then the secret could not be kept anymore. Then they saw that this unknown person who sounded so familiar in some ways was actually Jesus. Imagine how much it takes that you spend two hours with Jesus, whom you have been with for months or for years, and you can't recognize him. And he talks to you about himself and about what happened, and you can't recognize him. And then and you ask him to please stay with us more. We feel so good with you, Baba. We feel protected. We feel in a certain spiritual light here and so on. And then finally, you see. And, and he disappeared from their sight. Like, now you see me, now you don't. When you don't recognize me, you can talk to me. But when you can recognize me, it becomes like too much. Because now they could have asked everything. Wow, it's you, Lord? Wow, what, explain to us this. What is wow, What happened there? And this was too much. They were not given this. No? So it was all, you can, you can meditate intensely on this law of the secrecy, on this law of ignorance. Yeah? That they were even the disciples, okay, they were the privileged ones, but they had to go through a process of their own. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like, of course, to be in this situation and then you go and you doubt and the women told you that he's not there. And everybody is in a state of confusion. And you have some, God knows, they were going for some food. They were going for some, to meet some members. of. They had an errand to run and they were going to a village near Jerusalem. No? And then they discovered that Jesus came by anonymously like this and played with them a little bit and told them and explained and even ate with them. And in the moment when finally they saw like, what? This is Jesus? Then he was gone. Like, what the fuck? It's like God is playing hide and seek with his own disciples. No? So it's exactly understand how difficult this law of ignorance, of knowledge, how difficult this karma of ignorance is. <clears throat> and only you by yourself, you can deal with it for yourself. They got up. So what did they do? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Like, this was a huge event. No? There, they found the eleven. The apostles had a bit of a privileged status. I don't know how Jesus was calling them, but they were known that these were the first tier of disciples, that these were the direct disciples. No, they were not enlightened. They were nothing. They were 
simply the personal disciples, the ones which are closest to Jesus. And those with them, so there were always other people together with this, not only the eleven, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what they saw. Perhaps the second was called Simon, Simon and Cleopas. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Imagine, you hear this story, we spent two hours with him on the road, and only in the evening when we got to eat dinner, we saw that it was Jesus. If you tell this story about me, that we met with a guy and we spoke for two hours, and then we took dinner and we realized it was Swami. We'll say, are you nuts? Like, why didn't you see that one hour before? Like, how you could not see that it was Swami Vivekananda? Are you nuts? Like how, how close was the resemblance? How big was the difference? What are you talking about? No, it's like a nonsense. It was not something which happened quickly, quickly, and it was a state of stress and emergency, and people say, I don't, I can't remember correctly, I was crazy, I was afraid, you know, and maybe it was Jesus, I couldn't realize, you know. They were walking with him, talking with him. But God is the creator of the Maya. One of the five actions of Shiva is obscuring himself, hiding himself from himself. And therefore God is also keeping this Maya to a certain level, not eliminating it one. If God eliminates this ignorance suddenly, you die in the good meaning of the word. Like you go to heaven instantaneously can't even stay in the body anymore. This ignorance is even necessary for your physical survival to a certain extent. And God will not eliminate it just like He has eliminated it for Milarepa. Because Milarepa spent 40 years in a cave. And he said, even if you sent a zebra to fuck me in the ass, I'm not going out of this cave and I'm not quitting my yoga practice. And then God said, okay. You can see the truth. No, like he tested him. He said, go out of the cave. Go out of the cave. Go out of the cave. Stop. 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 And for 30 years, Milarepa didn't stop. And then God said, okay, enough is enough. Now you are one of the few on the planet Earth who can see. You have the knowledge. You know, because you've so stubbornly asked for it. But remember, these people were not yogis. They were on the path of bhakti yoga. They were devoted to Jesus, but they had not reached yet to their high level. So God was playing with his own disciples by putting maya on them. They were like hypnotized by maya and they could not see that they were talking to Jesus. And then they come to the others and they say, we spoke to Jesus, but we couldn't see it. Except in the end, and then when we saw it, the bastard disappeared. You know, it's like, what the heck happens here? While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, this is one of the evidences which broke the karma of these people. If Jesus would have been a normal guru, 
he wouldn't have had the power to do this. Like God would not have allowed him to change so violently the lives of the people who are in that room. But because Jesus had undergone crucifixion, he had a lot of leverage in front of God. Like basically God would have done anything for Jesus because Jesus had been so glorious in his mission. And therefore, Jesus was allowed as a huge exception to appear physically and it's not only he appeared the the angels appeared to those women he appeared to those two disciples going to Emmaus and if you read the other gospels you will see that there are three four other instances where Jesus appeared but like ping ping pong pong dang 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 and then suddenly 40 days have passed and he's gone to heaven It's like it was not a systematic day by day go to the main temple in Jerusalem and defy the priests, you know, like look how you've done nothing, you know, here I am, God is going to get pissed off at you right now or whatever, you know, nothing. God did not want to push his demonstration that far because humanity was not deserving to see the full truth. Only those who wanted to see it with their hearts could see that. So, Jesus stood himself, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Salam Aleikum in Arabic today, or whatever it was in Hebrew in those days. Now, you know, when you are in this situation, and people have been cooked, the women told you the story about the angels, Peter went and didn't find the, only the linen and not the body. And finally, these two guys walked with Jesus on a road 10 kilometers out of Jerusalem. And then they came back and said, man, something incredible has happened. And suddenly Jesus appeared. They say in another gospel that he entered with the doors being locked. Like these people were hiding from the authorities. And they were in some hidden place. And the doors were locked. And Jesus just walked in. Like through the wall. Through the door. You know, He was in the diamond body. Nothing mattered right now anymore. Like. Okay. It was the time to give to a number of people. Faith. These people would believe. Now it can be obvious that at least these ones something would happen. But again, you don't have the right to do that. God doesn't give to the gurus. Why didn't Ramakrishna come three days after his death or Ramana Maharishi or somebody and came a little bit, you know, and said to people, look, I'm not dead. There is no death. Uh, No, none, none of them got the right to do it. Not even Milarepa, not even Shankaracharya, not even Abhinavagupta. No, they're not given. It's too much for the human beings to give such a gift. And this was this is where the grace is. They were startled and frightening, frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. The first reaction is it's not possible. No? They didn't say of course, he said so. No? 
they simply said there must be some mischief, there must be some cheating. This is a ghost, it's a ghostly apparition. Anything, they could not believe the resurrection. Because that meant that everything that Jesus told them was true and it was authentified. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Like, that's the whole problem. Why can't, even when people were with Jesus there, they seen him rising Lazarus eight days ago, or nine days or whatever, ten days ago, and now they could not believe it. They could not believe it. It was beyond the capacity of their mind and consciousness. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Of course, because Jesus was in the diamond body, he was physically materialized, physically present there. And by a sort of a divine convention, he had kept the scars, because the divine, the diamond body does not have any scars or imperfections. It's perfect, because it's archetypal. It's the blueprint from the Christian science, healing. It's a perfect body, the perfect Adamic body. But, in the case of Jesus, as a testimony of his sacrifice, he had the scars, maybe even as live wounds, you know, because in the diamond body you can keep live wounds for a million years and you don't die of infection or of, you know, like a sort of a memento, a sort of a memorizer of what has happened. And Jesus, with the permission of God, could do this incredible grace to them, like, look for God's sake. And I was like, how much more are you going to push this skepticism and doubt, which is the poison of the human mind? Whatever I do, you can't believe that it was the right, what if he cheated in some way? The mind is a terrible monkey. And always it does not want to go to that level of perfection because that level of perfection brings with it responsibilities. And the mind is avoiding those responsibilities. It prefers to stay in this chaos and darkness of ignorance and of this. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, Because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Like after they saw the hands and the feet, they still could not believe it. You understand that the problem is a problem of faith. Your Ajna Chakra cannot accept the spiritual reality. I am consciousness and bliss without end. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. And the fucking mind does not believe it. Does not believe it. You work on it for a hundred years. You have to stay 40 years in a cave like Milarepa to have the mind finally bend to that truth. These people were seeing Jesus showing them the scars of his crucifixion. It was obviously Jesus. And then, as God, 
he chose an amazing way. He simply asked for some food, you know, like he came to the daily routines, you know, like I am the Jesus that you've always known. Again, here we have to make a mention of the fact that they had as food fish. If it was fish or not, as you might remember, we actually don't know. Because there is a very important Hebrew scholar who translated the Gospel of Truth or the Gospel of the Twelve, I forgot, one of the apocryphal Gospels, which is about Jesus and his healing methods. And there they said that actually the word fish is a word which means something which you add to the bread to give taste and consistency to the food, and it actually can mean very well grapes. And therefore the bread and fish, which Jesus multiplied, means bread and grapes, which is very synergic with bread and wine, because the wine is a product of the grapes, and bread and wine is the body of God, and therefore that these people were actually vegan. They were eating bread and grapes. So this story with the fish, it's accepted universally in the world of uh, Orthodox Christianity, Catholic, Orthodox, and all the others. But remember that scholars have raised an objection, which the others have said, no, don't, don't disturb us, we love it with fish. With fish, it's, um, it's tasty. Yeah. Jesus was eating fish, you know. If he was not, we actually don't know. Scientifically, it's not proven, but we don't go there. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, I mean, the more he was with them and the more he showed them, they probably recognized his way of eating. You know, small details like this. The resonance. And kind of, it's like, wow. You know, they, they woke up. They were with Jesus. This was Jesus. This was not a scam. Remember, the monkey mind is so terrible that they would have preferred to believe that it's all just some elaborate scam. Because they could not rise their frequency of vibration to the frequency of the truth itself. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is what we do in Kashmiri Shaivism when in the end of the first day we open a field of understanding. There are ways of opening other people's minds. And Jesus had to do this because he, it's a brave new world that he is pushing humanity in. It's something which has not been done before the way he does. And therefore he simply has to give them a new understanding. Don't forget that most of these people were simple Jewish people. Most of them could not read or write. Most of them were illiterate. Judas was literate and then he became a traitor. Too much intelligence made him do stupid things instead of being authentic in his heart. So Jesus had to open their spirits. Well, Milarepa opened his spirits 
by doing Mahamudra or whatever meditation he was doing for 10 years alone in a cave. In the case of the apostles, Jesus did like this and their minds opened because in the end, all is a grace from God. Either you do it with 10 years of yoga or you do it through a click of the fingers of Jesus, still the final result will be more or less the same. Then he opened their minds, remember what happened there, so that they could understand the scriptures, because the scriptures are written by enlightened prophets who are in a higher state of spirit. Like the Shastras from India, you know, Bhagavad Gita, Geranda Samhita, these are not written by people in a normal state of consciousness. That's why they are sacred literature. That's why they are Shastras. Because this is coming from God in an indirect way. Through the mind of those people. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So he said, now I send you into the world. I know you are complaining like, look, just half an hour ago we were confused and ready not to believe you. So we are just like lost chicken with their head cut off. You know, it's like... We are running in circles, you know. Now you came, you gave us some hocus-pocus, and we kind of are like, oh man, I've taken LSD and I can see or whatever, you know. I'm like hypnotized in some way. But then tomorrow will be the same, you know. And the priests with their soldiers and the Romans, they will play with us like, you know, we are nothing. We are no- Normal people cannot perform a spiritual revolution. And that's why Jesus tells them clearly, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send to you what my Father has promised, and that something is enlightenment. So he basically promised a number of you, the apostles, there must have been some deals before we are not told everything which they discussed in all those three years. And Jesus had apparently promised, or God promised, This will be enlightened so that they can continue the mission. So Jesus is just telling them some mysterious thing that it will come and you have to stay hidden in Jerusalem until it comes. This it which comes is nothing but what in Christianity is called the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And this actually happened approximately 40 something, 49 days, 45 days, whatever, after this discussion took place. So Jesus was uh, very engineering at this. He told them, I am aware that you cannot be my apostles. Right now you are just a bunch of confused, scared little people. And uh, God will make a miracle for my sake, because I got crucified and I got this power. And now I ask God to make you worthy. So God will has decided that he has 12 places in heaven for 12 of you 
So 12 of you is going to be given the state of Samadhi, after which you will start going in the world and preaching and doing what I told you. This was the understanding. When they were in that high state of consciousness, they could see that that was right. So he said, you have to stay in the city until you have been closed with power from on high. In the language of the saga called the Star Wars, Jesus was telling them, you are not yet Jedis, but in a few days you will be made Jedis, and then you'll have the power to go in the world and fight with the evil. Basically, Jesus is confirming what the Buddhist tradition, the Hindu tradition, and the others say very clearly. There is a threshold of transformation, which is the attaining of the state of Samadhi and the attaining of the state of enlightenment for sufficient enough time so that it catches roots and it becomes a presence. The crown chakra is open to a certain extent and then Again, there is an evolution even after that, as I told you so many times, but at least that part is there. And therefore, this is, it's exactly what Ramakrishna did. Ramakrishna simply came and touched the people. He touched them with his own hand when he was close to death. And in this way, when he died, there were a number of people who had seen God, who had had the experience of the divine consciousness. So, the same thing is happening here, but in another way. God is saying, Jesus, God is saying, you have to be clothed with power from on high. Without that power from on high, you are lost little chickens in the labyrinth of samsara. People say, but I'm smart, but I'm, you know, it's like, people don't understand. There is a threshold. And that threshold is you are a Jedi or you are not a Jedi. You are a Buddha or you are not a Buddha. Today, in the superficiality of New Age, people are joking with this and they are trying to take it easy and to simplify it and to say, yeah, we are all wonderful. We are all very enlightened beings. We are all, this is blah, 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 blah. You know, this has no efficiency. The efficiency is that some people have been clothed with the power from on high and those people can maintain a stable spiritual connection with that higher consciousness and they will not be deluded by maya except on small things. Like even a great Christian saint or somebody in some daily life things and so on, they can have, they are having a normal life. You cannot say that Ramakrishna lived absolutely without any illusion. He would be fooled by the illusion, but in things which are not essential. In things which are like, you know, after three days, he said, ha, in that situation, man, I was just fooled. Like everybody else, I was like so fooled, you know. But that does not spoil his mission, that does not spoil his spiritual status, that does not bring any considerable negative karma, 
that is of no major consequence. As soon as there is a, something of major consequence, the spirit is yelling like, hey, wake up. No, like now you are really crossing the red line. And it's like, what, what? You know, then the Maya has no power. No? And such a person is connected with that reality for the rest of their lives. No? And this is what happened to Peter, John, and the others. They have been hit in their Sahasrara by the Holy Spirit. They experienced the prolonged states of Samadhi, in which a lot of miracles happened, the Pentecost day. And from that moment on, there existed something which was called Christianity. That's the day when the Christianity was born, when 12 disciples of Jesus were enlightened without doing yoga, just by believing in Jesus and waiting for this to happen. And because Jesus had this merit, he had these credit points with God, he could do it. He simply said, God, now it's time to give to those guys this thing. Bam! And they got it. And it started. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, uh, you know, like Buddha. Buddha, when he left, he didn't have people. He had to tell them, monks, dear ones, cousin Ananda and others, practice. Vipassana. Vipassana, boys. Vipassana. Practice. No? Because if you want to be like me and to continue the work which I do, you have to reach the state of consciousness which I have reached. No, otherwise, it will not work. You will believe that you absorbed my words, but you will not have my state of spirit. Your sahasrara will not be open. No? And therefore, you have to do it with your personal effort. But in the case of Jesus, their personal effort was to be with Jesus. And through this, because this involved a certain sacrifice, and in the end, all of them lost their lives. Exception made of John, 11 of the apostles, plus Paul, who was added later, all of them were murdered. All of them were assassinated. 11 out of 12, and plus Paul, was as a 12 were assassinated. So, in this way, this was a different path. It's a path of grace. It's a path which is not like yoga. A great yogi would have said, I'm going. You and you are prepared to explain to the others. You are my uh, followers. You are my disciples. And for you, the others, please stay in the ashram, work, continue practicing until you will get the same state of consciousness. This is how things have been done in yoga ashrams and in Buddhist monasteries and so on for the last many thousands of years. People have worked to attain this consciousness and those who graduated, they were the next leaders, they were the next uh, spiritual guides. With Jesus, the story is much more dramatic because Jesus himself had to do this thing or did this thing through a sacrifice, through a divine sacrifice. And therefore, this was all a game of grace. And things are much more miraculous than if somebody sits, 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 like Dogen, the patriarch of Zen Buddhism, and meditates, 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 and then one day he reaches Nirvana. And then his teacher says, go back to Japan, 
and teach that in Japan because they miss a teacher there who understands truly what Buddha wanted to say. And then Dogen goes and becomes the head of a lineage and he has disciples who also reach what he reached and so on and so forth. So in yoga schools and in lineages of yoga and Buddhism and Hinduism and others, Sufis, why not, and others, uh, these things are happening in another way, in the way of the schools of initiation, in the way of esoteric schools. But in the case of Jesus, there was this huge sacrifice of Jesus, this huge test of Jesus, and eventually everything started with a miracle. There was just a divine gift based on the sacrifice of Jesus. Could Jesus have enlightened a hundred disciples instead of twelve? No. There was too much. That was not what God wanted. God did not want Satya Yuga created 2,000 years ago because there was still Kali Yuga to happen. God wanted just a partial redression of the history of mankind and a new breath of fresh air brought to the Western spirituality via Jesus and indirectly to the whole planet via Him and via Christianity. And therefore, there could have been more. When those 12 people have been enlightened, why not enlighten 120 just to have plenty? Just to have enough. Because some of them will die, some of them will forget. Don't do 12. Do 112. But that would have changed humanity way too much. Way too much. And the plan was not that. You have to understand that in this humanity, for the general plan which addresses to the masses, there is a master plan which is being followed. Either you like it or not. The only difference which a human being can make is not about the others. It's about you. That master plan can change about you. If you surprise God, and if you do practice like Milarepa or go crazy like Buddha and run in the forest, then God will give you. Because God wishes for people to reach knowledge, to become alike God. And therefore, the gift will be given to individuals who break through this wall of silence. Therefore, for you, you have the absolute freedom to make a difference of 100%. But for 7 billion people, you do not have the power to change the general plan, except little, little things here and there. Now, in the end, Jesus did a sacrifice which was astonishing. And how much did things change in the next 200 years? A little bit here, a little bit there. Much for a few individuals who really believed in Jesus and became baptized and converted to Christianity. Not so much for many other generations of people who lived God knows where, you know, in whatever part of the Roman Empire or of the world. No, remember, even Jesus is not sent to change radically, suddenly, the lives of all. Because that's not the will of God. The will of God was fixing things a little bit uplifting things a little bit 
But not I'm going to send Jesus down there to terminate all the ignorance on earth. If God would have wanted this, then Jesus would have come and done that. But that was not the will of God. The ignorance is still continuing until today. And actually, the more we go to Kali Yuga, the more people forget about Jesus because 2,000 years have passed. And today, Christianity has become a caricature. Today, Christianity has become a ridiculous shadow of what used to happen. And like Sundar Singh said in the 20th century, I've visited the Christian countries and found no Christians. No, Like we are pretending that Jesus was there and we are Christian, but it's 2,000 years ago and we have almost forgotten. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continuously at the temple, praising God. What a view. The last scene which we know about Jesus, after he clarified a lot of things, then the term came of 40 days. When 40 days were finishing, it was an important stage in Bardo. The Bardo was finished. And although Jesus was not in the Bardo, there were some cycles of nature which happened to his body because he had, technically speaking, he had died 40 days ago. And now he was dead. And the processes of nature were functioning. Now he had replaced his body with the diamond body. No? But still, some laws of nature were there. And even Jesus did not intend to violate the laws of nature permanently and forever. Otherwise, Jesus would have stayed alive until today. when you could go to Jerusalem and maybe meet with Jesus. You know? And he would say, oh, ye of little faith, 2,000 years ago, I keep walking on the face of the earth and nobody wants to listen and blah, blah, blah. You know? and so it didn't happen. Even Jesus had to go away. Because then the miracle was becoming too big, too intense. And therefore, Jesus had to pretend to die. Of course, for the people who knew him, it was just a pretense. Now they knew if this guy resurrected, can be killed by crucifixion. And God brought him back then he will never die. Then he is immortal. He is infinite. He is perfect. He is God. And they were allowed to see that now he was with them. And in a matter of seconds, minutes, we have never been given a timeline, like how quickly did this thing happen. But in a matter of a short time, he just dematerialized. He was like... Sucked into heaven. He was blessing them. And then from that, that was the last thing which they have seen. Then from that position, he vanished. Turned into rainbow. We are not being told that people saw the rainbow or that people saw lightning jolts or like with powder, you know, in the movie Powder or others like this, you know. These are Hollywood movies. In reality, nobody wrote in detail what they saw 
Maybe nothing because nobody, maybe it was so like, now you see me, now you don't. Now the rabbit is there, the white rabbit is there, now the white rabbit is not there. That people say, what? Huh? Wasn't he here? He just, uh, where did he go? No, Like a ninja, he just vanished out of their sight. So people didn't, but this was the glorious end of the existence on earth of Jesus who had to disappear so that people will still doubt if he ever existed and if he ever was such a great man like it is said that he was. So with this, we have explored the limits of human faith, belief. Remember, belief is your choice. In the end, you believe what empowers you. I feel that this belief with Jesus is very empowering because Jesus is your friend. Jesus is the one who was crucified for you and I, directly or indirectly. doesn't even matter if you are baptized or something. These are rituals and these are institutions in the end, formalities. In the end, what matters is that Jesus felt that he brought the gift of God to every soul on this planet, to every human being, that everybody who would hear this story and believe it and embrace it will be helped. I will not use big words like saved or something, but at least helped, enlightened, elevated, uplifted. There was a limit to even what Jesus was sent to do. His resurrection is unique because it is a direct action of God, is not the manifestation of Jesus' powers. It's a grace from God and it's a confirmation like, okay, this hippie was indeed my beloved son. Not like, let's cut the bullshit. Not like, now enough is enough, the, the joke is on you, you know, and bum, that's it. And then, therefore, even this part, which is the glory of it, this is what gives to Jesus complete power. You can always pray to Jesus. Jesus will be there for you, always. And therefore, you have to treat Jesus like your best spiritual friend, like God, like your guardian angel. Of course, I'm talking in metaphors because Jesus is not your guardian angel. There is a guardian angel who is your guardian angel, and it has a name, and you can find out what that name is, and all that. But uh, Jesus is there for the whole humanity, and for you in particular. And this story of Jesus is unique. It teaches us a lot of things, and it has this incredible value, because uh, Jesus has this style where he is direct, There is no time for nonsense. No, it's like it's a direct message. With the yogis, you can say some yogis did yoga and then they went to, I don't know, to Svarga Loka and there they were cohabitating with the gods and they became divine and like they got siddhis. They got, yeah, it's good. But with Jesus, you are having the direct, full story. Again, great yogis 
when Shankaracharya says, I am consciousness and bliss without end, I am Shiva, I am Shiva, there is nothing which Jesus would demand from this man. Like he would not say, well, still come follow me because you are imperfect. Because like, there are yogis and other enlightened beings for which there is nothing. Like they already have fulfilled their spirituality. No? And Jesus himself would not object to them. So I'm not saying that the path of yoga cannot do that, but it does that in its own specific way with a lot of practice, with a lot of kundalini rising, with a lot of meditation, with a lot of opening of Ajna Chakra, Sahasrara, in the case of Jesus, Anahata Chakra as well, the higher chakras, let's put it as a gem, because then we forget Vishuddha, like it's punished in some way. So Anahata, Vishuddha, Ajna, Sahasrara. And Jesus is just an excellent confirmation And all the yogis who have meditated and they have tried to obtain a confirmation from Jesus, such as Yogananda, Ramakrishna, Shivananda and others, they all felt supported, approved, blessed, sanctified, enlightened by Jesus and they felt that basically they were on the same page, they were birds of a feather, as the expression goes. And thus, I hope that after all these years of lectures and the tens of lectures which have been gathered on this subject of satsang, I hope that this grand story of Jesus will give you aspiration. I hope that it will give you patience, I hope that it will give you faith and love and inspiration and this direct style of Jesus will give you, you know, the desire to not make too many compromises, like to be staunch. And if you discover that it can be that your meaning, your dharma in this life is to awaken the sleeper, like in Dune, like in the novel, to awaken your supreme self and to be that, then Jesus can only be your friend and the great inspiration. He had another mission. He was one of a kind who had the mission to shake the world, which he did very well. But each one of us, we are seekers on the path. We are souls which are searching for the immortality and freedom of yoga and of spirituality. And definitely in this quest, you should never forget about Jesus and make him your friend because he has got everything to offer. And with such grace, it's always wonderful to add it to your spiritual path. May this uh, endeavor be blessed. May it be beneficial to all beings. May it bring some people on the path of asking themselves the relevant questions. 
and with this, although I kept it a bit longer tonight, with this finally we have concluded this uh, great story. We will see if we take a break or if we start with smaller subjects. If ever in my life this will be possible, maybe I would be able to do the fourth and last gospel, the gospel of John. But right now it would be too soon, definitely, because we have focused with this gospel of Luke and some people believe that our school is becoming some sort of para-Christian sect or organization. And therefore I want to do things from yoga, from tantra as well, from other from the Tibetan traditions and others. So in this way, we will uh, be able to inspire people in many, many ways. So we'll see what comes up. If you have suggestions or desires for some of the subjects of satsangs that you want to have brought forth by me here in Agama, please send it to our team, communicate with the people that you know, and... Um, it will get to me and I'll see what suggestions are coming from your direction. Let's stop here for tonight. Thank you all for joining. I thank you, God, and I thank you, Jesus, for empowering me to do this cycle of satsangs. It means a lot of grace for me, not only for you, because when I am giving these things to you, they are being given to me as well. I get to see angles and aspects of some of these teachings which I had not seen or known before. So the fact that this grace is flowing through me, it's also a grace for me. And that's why I am together with you in uh, giving gratitude to the Divine for allowing us to dwell on such uh, amazing and exalted subjects. May we see each other again in the presence of God, in the presence of spirituality, in the presence of divine teachings.